Two top Democrats eye the U.S. Senate, Ohio and the Obama housing plan, and prison reform gains momentum. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle Studio at WOSU at Coside, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Ann Fisher, Metro columnist for the Columbus Dispatch. Emily Reamer, Statehouse reporter for ABC6 and Fox 28. Sam Gresham of Common Cause Ohio. And Michael Miller, attorney and former Franklin County prosecutor. Welcome to Columbus on the Record. The higher-ups in the Democratic Party may not like it, but political junkies do. Two of the state's top Democrats this week nearly simultaneously announced their candidacies for U.S. Senate. Secretary of State Jennifer Bruner and Lieutenant Governor Lee Fisher want to succeed retiring Senator George Voinovich. The announcements have split party loyalties, and they leave Democrats having to defend an open Secretary of State seat because Bruner cannot run for both in 2010. Sam Gresham, I love competitive primaries, but this is this a wise thing for Democrats after all the gains they made just two years ago? Well, it does set out a, a conundrum for them. Um, they have two aggressive personalities who run, run, run for office, and it's an open seat. The problem is, though, you got 2011, and that's the reapportionment. And you really don't want an open seat at the Secretary of State's office. Uh, rumors are that Houston wants to run for that seat anyway, so it's going to be competitive. I think in the long run, uh, this will be settled before a primary occurs, and I don't think there's going to be a primary. Could we see, like we saw two years ago with Betty Montgomery and Jim Petro, where she eventually dropped out of the governor's race and ran for attorney general? Do we see that happening here? Yeah, I could see that happening here. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of motivation to have Jennifer Bruner um, walk away from this. Um, and I don't know what they're promising, either one of them on either side, but there's just too much motivation not to make that happen. So is this a grab for money? If, if Jennifer Bruner can get a lot of money in the next well, couple of months? Whatever deal you can cut. <laughs> well, well, now's the time to put yeah. your name out there yeah. if you want money. I, I think it's how bad you want to be a U.S. Senator. I mean, Jennifer, I think, is in her early 50s, and Lee is 57 or something like that. And, and obviously, Sherrod Brown is probably going to be there a long time. Whoever wins this race is going to be there a long time. There comes a point in time, if you're serious about it, yeah. you better go forget about it. And I do think there, there may be a trade somewhere along the line, if you can look that far ahead of time. And say if Governor Strickland wins in uh, 2010, sort of a promise that you're the guy or the gal in 2014. For governor? Yes. Yeah. You might be able to make some sort of a trade there. But if you're bitten by the, the Washington bug, particularly the senatorial bug, there's not a very wide window. If you want to do it, you got to go. So I think they may go. Emily, Ted Strickland openly endorsed Lee Fisher. No surprise there, but he's taking sides right away. He is really, and I think that's something that Jennifer Bruner's going to have to deal with as she moves forward. I mean, I asked her, you know, point blank, I said, the governor's come out for Lee Fisher. Do you think that's going to be a problem? And she really just sidestepped the issue and said, well, you know, we're going to try to run a clean campaign. Um, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, he has decided to support Lee, but this is the time that I feel I need to do it. The word problem doesn't pop up in their vocabularies very much no. um, when they're campaigning for an elective office. It's just not part of the lexicon, I don't think. Does Lee Fisher have the advantage fundraising? Talking about the politics for a minute. I, I think if you look at the numbers, they're about even Stephen. There's not a 
based on the early polling. But uh, with the party insiders, particularly up north, Lee has the advantage because he knows the party insiders. Now, there's the progressive wing of the party that would appear to want to support Bruner. Um, but I, I, I think the, the long-term prize is the reapportionment. And I don't think the troops in the back room are going to let anybody get in the way of reapportionment because Democrats have been wanting that too long. She, she did run on the ticket with her name alone the last mm -hmm. time. She's probably a little better known re recently because of that, and, and Matt might help, but uh, I agree with what Sam just said. You know, she has said, though, that she has a lot of national support. Emily's list is right. coming out behind her, and they're a fairly formidable ally to have on your side. So I think if she's looking at maybe those Hillary Clinton folks that really supported a woman this time around, she says that's who's been mm -hmm. telling her to run is women that are saying, go for it, do it, we'll be behind you. So I wonder if that'll be a factor at all. I, uh, when I interviewed Lee Fisher this week, I gave him the, I set him up. I said a lot of people criticized Jennifer Bruner and her role as Secretary of State as being too partisan. He didn't take the bite, debate. He just said, I'm not going to say anything bad about her. Does that surprise you that there's no criticism of, he just says he, have more, he has more experience than her. That's the only thing that separates him. That doesn't surprise me at all. I, I think Lee is, uh, is a very good politician. I think that's a smart way to do it. Why alienate people get to, as, uh, as we say, the, the women or Emily's List or whatever, you know, uh, in opposition to you. I don't think you gain anything from it. And he's a very pleasant person anyway, as is Jennifer. So I, I don't think you'd see a nasty campaign at all. And they're still in that negotiating stage. Why right. trash the, uh, your, yeah. your opponent right. Right. when things might change? And if you say that she has had failings in her office, you know that if she does go back to run for Secretary right. of State, that's what's going to be in all the right. ads. Right. Yeah. Sure, because you know the Republicans are just you know, getting ready for this and just yeah. hoping that they will do their job for the Republicans. As far as Lee Fisher's strength as a, as a candidate, he is the state's development director. Mm -hmm. The state has lost over a million jobs since he and Governor Strickland took office. How much of that falls on them? He says it's part of the global economy. It's not our responsibility. I don't think any of it has fallen on either one of them. I mean, the, the, the governor has escaped that smear of you should have done something about got, uh, jobs. Um, I don't think uh, uh, um, Mr. Fisher will, will get that smear. I think everybody, I think there's a, a mindset that everything is wrong right now and that it's going to take time to uh, right that boat. And I don't think anybody gets caught with it. Right I now. think he'll be criticized for it, but I don't think it'll stick. I think the voters are smarter than that. Even two years from now, if the economy is still Well, it depends on what's going on around the yeah. world, I, you know. I, my projection is four to six years before this thing is really straightened out. I don't, I don't see it right around the corner, just snapping your fingers and everything. And, and I hope they're building a platform that project us into the decades and not just a short fix, but a long-term fix to a lot of problems. Um, if you really want to get into that discussion, um, I think there are lots of things they could do at this point that 10 years out they're not going to be able to do. Okay. Our next topic, Ohio is among the nation's leading states when it comes to home foreclosures. So it stands to reason that Ohio could benefit greatly from President Obama's housing program, if the program works as he hopes it does. Among other things, it gives lenders incentives to rewrite mortgages, to help homeowners avoid foreclosure, and it would help so-called upside-down homeowners refinance if they owe more than their house is worth. Emily, 
this is going to affect this 400,000 homes in Ohio that have been foreclosed upon. Sure, I think so. I do. And I think, you know, in speaking with some housing agencies this week, I think everyone is really looking at this and they're not sure exactly yet what it means. You know, you talk about $75 billion. What does that mean? And when will folks here see it? When will the people whose neighbors may be foreclosed and it's affecting their property values? That's what everyone seems to be waiting to figure out. Now, we do know that last week uh, in the state legislature, they've introduced some legislation to actually let judges rewrite those mortgages the way that Obama has. And I think that that will be something that'll really kind of stir up controversy, I think, as we move forward in the General Assembly. I think there are a couple of things that make it complicated, though. First is they have a requirement that you only have 31% of your income going to the property, that the value of the home cannot be 5% uh, or less. And that says for people who have variable rate of mortgages, they're somewhere in between given that set of, set of circumstances. If, if it depends on where that mortgage is accelerated, the rate has accelerated to it. Um, I think their projection is three to four million people. I think the projection on foreclosures is considerably higher than that, isn't it? You're right for 13 yeah, I million. I don't think they'll be able to save everything. I don't, think, yeah. I don't think they ever plan to save everybody. Mm. 31% of the borrower's total income, they're, they're going to reduce the payments to us no right. more than 31% of the borrower's total income, basically, if you're making, you know, that's your monthly payment compared to your monthly wages. Is that a role for government to be in that, to decide, okay, 31%? Banks do it all the time, though. Yeah, well, but Banks aren't government. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the question, and that's what the banks are going to say is, you're doing our job, you know, get out of our business. We have to run a business. Um, it's more than just being nice. I mean, and I think they're going to try to mitigate it with other sorts of ways to cushion the fall for people. Um, to, and banks are already uh, proactively um, developing their own programs to help, help their, uh, their mortgage holders um, or their mortgagees, mortga mm -hmm. whoever, who has the money for a mortgage, yeah. um, uh, manage it during these tough times. So uh, that, that often happens in the, when we're looking at more regulation, the entity that's facing more regulation starts to, on its own, adjust. But I think I also get the sense, too, that people are saying, well, times are so tough that this is the creative solution, that this is what we have to do right now, whether government should be doing it or not. It hasn't worked, and so that's why we're stepping in to do it. That was the sense I got last week when we talked about this issue of, as you had just said, that this is not, the government perhaps shouldn't be doing this, but the legislator's answer was, well, who else is going to do it if not us? Should judges be involved, Mike, from a legal perspective? What, what do you, how do you see that playing out? Well, generally, uh, generally, I don't like it. I mean, you have, you have rules of contract and so forth. I, I'm troubled by a number of things. Everybody wants to help. You know, all of us were in this mess, but... You know, people that go in and, and uh, that can't afford a $500,000 house and know it and do it, uh, to me, they've got to share some of this blame, too, along with the, uh, the institutions that lent the money. And, and I don't know what you do. Can you go back to the institution and say, now the house isn't worth that? You know, you eat it so that these people can, can make these payments? I, I'm not sure you do that. And there's going to be a lot of people that right now, regardless whether they can pay the mortgage or not, it's higher than the value of the house. And, and it may be going down, the house may be going down further. There's probably a fair amount of people out there that say, I'd just soon walk away from this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, there's, and there's some people uh, are going to go down no matter what. Right. And, and, and some that want to go down, Ann. And, and they probably should. I mean, there's a certain number of people that, that went into these uh, adjustable rate mortgages and these, these great deals thinking, I'll turn my house over in three or four years okay. and I'll make a bundle right. on it, yeah. right? The flipping and all that kind of junk. Mm -hmm. and, and, and those folks took a risk. They took a calculated risk. And they lost. I hate to um, say, though, but there were some people who were set up. Yes, that's they what were I'm lied to. Those. Sure. I'm yeah. not talking about sure. those people. I'm talking yeah. about people who knew what they were doing right. and and, to, and gambled.
And, 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 and the other thing about the government doing the underwriting, for years, there have been two entities that have done underwriting. That's HUD at a 90% assured loan, and then there have been the PMI, which is the private mortgage insurer. Most banks just process the paperwork, because if the PMI didn't take it, or if HUD didn't take it, you had no loan. Believe it or not, most people don't know that, but that's the truth. If you, unless you had unless you had twenty percent down. Right, yeah. right, right. Most people don't know that. So banks just really process the paper. The the better underwriting that occurred in the banking community was in, in the uh, commercial properties and multifamily and large development, not really on single family homes. So how do you wrap your arms around this? There's so many different stories. There's the folks who are victimized by a subprime predatory lender. There's the folks who had their eyes on the nice house and the nice neighborhood and you know couldn't afford it. I mean, how do you how do you how does anybody weed through all this and make anybody happy? You know, can I ask you a question? If you're at closing and somebody walks in and say you need a second mortgage, the family's outside waiting on you. All the relatives know you've purchased this house. What do you do? Do you sign that second mortgage? Most people do. Oh yeah. Because of the emotional and it's one of the most the probably the most emotional purchase that you buy. The American dream. Yep. So what? I guess the question is, where do we separate the dreamers yeah. from the gamblers? Yeah. Right. And um, that should have known better. That's the. Yeah. That's the big question. Yeah. Our next topic: Advocates for years have been calling on Ohio and other governments, for that matter, to change prison sentencing guidelines. Now, state budget problems are forcing the issue. It's expensive to run prisons, and officials are faced with the prospect of closing some. The reform proposals include giving judges more leeway to sentence nonviolent offenders to probation or place them in halfway houses, increase to $750 the value of stolen goods that would bring a mandatory prison sentence, the current limit is $500, and it would allow inmates to cut time from their sentences if they take part in education or rehabilitation programs. Michael Miller, a lack of money is pushing this prison reform effort right now. Is that the reason to do this? Well, there's a couple of reasons, Mike. I mean, I'm a pretty conservative fellow, but I think that uh, uh, this is long overdue. Uh, I, I will say one thing: this this concept of $500 as a mandatory prison sentence is not true. I mean, I've had clients that have stolen hundreds of thousands that have gotten probation. So I don't know where, where this this kind. It changed it from a felony. The felony liable is that, and now it's up to seven thousand seven hundred and fifty if they do it. We get phone but, calls but to on me. <laughs> to me, what we've been doing is really warehousing too many people. I mean, I think prisons, uh, they're, they're places that none of us want to be, and there's a reason for that. And, and I think we put people there who are either repeated offenders of relatively. Not minor offenses, but nonviolent, and the real violent guys. I think we've got far too many people in there, and I've felt this way for years and years on felony fives and felony fours, drug possession, and so forth. We need to establish something else, whether it's home arrest, we can put ankle bracelets on them. Now, a lot of them, will, a lot of them will pay no attention. Felony and have five to ev and eventually put them in prison because they won't do anything well. that they're supposed to. But I think there's a lot of people. We can keep out of this prison and cut our costs and so forth, and I think we should. Felony, just to clarify, felony five and fours are the lower level felonies. That's correct. Felony, felony, felony five is yeah. the lowest. That's right. And concurrently with that, get to the, the, the court, you know, the, the root problems, which is usually drug abuse and the drug laws that we have uh, 
you know, in, in this state and in this country. Um, we're not treating the problem, we're just treating the symptoms, which is all the crime that revolves around the illegal drug trade in this country. Um, one of the things that the, um, the prisons director said when he addressed the legislature the other day was that we've lost the war on drugs. Right. Okay, if, if we all agree on that, then let's do something about it instead of just saying it. Now it's getting popular to just say that, but we're not really doing anything about it. So, um, I, I, you know, and, and education and training cost money too. Uh, you know, unless we're willing to invest money in that, that part of the equation, let's take re rehabilitation out of the title of the prison's um, I wanna system. I want to piggyback what Ann says. I if it is purely just to reduce your cost and not changing your philosophy and thrust on what you're doing with these people, uh, then I don't think it's worth it. If it's purely cost saving, um, the majority of people who go to prison eventually get out. Let me repeat that. The majority of people who go to prison eventually get out. Now the question is, how are they going to make a contribution to society once they get out? Now there's a group of people who you automatically set up knowing that these people are going to get out. Is if they have no gainful employment or any way to bring in income, they're going to prey on these people. And a felony on their record. That's true. They're, it's going to be hard to get a job. Yeah, it's so, almost impossible. I mean, you're setting a certain communities, poor white communities, poor black communities, poor people of color communities, you're setting them up. So we're not seeing in this budget discussion, we're not seeing, we're seeing shift the folks to community-based programs, but there hasn't been a whole lot of talk of increasing funding. For right. right, right, no. It really hasn't at all. And I think, you know, when you were speaking more about the ankle brace, let's doing more of that kind of um, measure so that people are not in prisons. They have folks that have come to the state house before and tried out these things. I can remember one, the offender, you know, it sounds like some sort of spaceship or something, but it is. It's a it's a beep beeper that you put on a sex offender and if he goes within, you know, hundred thousand feet of a school it goes off, but it all costs money. Right. And that's the problem. There's no money. But it would probably be cheaper than in prison for, yeah. for minor yeah, offenders. Fair but, enough. but but, but right. like Ann says in some degree, Sam, I have to disagree. I, I just think this is pie in the sky. This is foolishness <laughs> to say, all right, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna teach people, we're gonna instruct them, we're going and that's gonna end the drug no. problem. I mean no, that's I we're gonna that. have this. I, I know better it, than it that, is Mike, going to be there. Mike, We've I had since the that. history of the world, that's, I suppose, that's, that's to murder and rape and has been illegal. Right. It goes on all over in every Mike, country. I would disagree with you. I can go into third grade right now and identify half the kids in third third grade who are going to cause you problems. I don't doubt that. And if I can do that, then we need to be programming something to stop that. I don't know how you get to that step. Well, I can predict them too, I think. But I don't know how you stop it or I think somebody would have done it. No, uh, Mike, I don't think no one's been interested. But let's acknowledge that the growth in the prison population is roughly the same as the growth in the laws that we've thrown at people right, to fight the, the war on yeah, drugs. Yeah. Okay, I mean, there's a lot of people mm -hmm. in there, and once they get in there for whatever, you, you know, and they're addressing now these disparities between crack cocaine and, and oh. powder cocaine and that kind of thing because they were definitely unfairly um, uh, compare, compared, but that's one way to start doing it. Um, um, but to not address the issue of drug addiction first. I don't think it's pie in the sky. I think it's, it's pragmatic. Well, I mean, we, uh, we may end up with Needle Park in, uh, in uh, Amsterdam, too, if that's what we want. See, okay, <coughs> we're going to realize all of this. 
but we're going to have these guys stacked out in cordwood with needles in their arms. And people say, well, it's not violating a law. I'm not sure we want that either. I mean, I'm not saying I do want either one of these. I'm just saying it's a tough problem. You know who doesn't want us to change our drug laws in this country? The drug dealers. Oh, I think it's true. Sure, they yeah. are making a mint <laughs> off of our drug laws because as long as we keep them the way they are, they, they control money. the flow of it. And but, we're but never going to shut it down. That's true. It's like prohibition. You're the, right. The, I mean, the, gangsters The partners of the people who are in there are low-level users or people who traffic. That's what you got. You don't have really violent offenders. I agree with that, Sam, and I and I have a lot of uh, empathy for the low-level users. I'm not too sure I do the traffickers, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I think we're all kind of the same thing. I, I think we need to cut down on a prison population, but one thing they also want to do is give so many days of good time. I don't want to see that. Yeah. We've gone years and years where somebody would go and get a 27-year sentence and be eligible in four. I don't like that, and I think the people don't like it. They don't understand it, and we changed 10 or 12 years ago, or maybe 15, we went through this truth in sentencing, yeah. and I like it now. If you want to put less people in, I'm in favor of that, but if you're going to go and it says nine months, I think it ought to mean close to nine months. Six years ought to mean close to six years. The other thing, I just think it's a game, so I don't like that aspect. So adjusted on the front end. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Our last topic, government efficiency comes up for debate now and again. Should Central Ohio combine city and county governments as other areas have? As government slash services, the topic is emerging again. The Columbus Dispatch reports County Auditor Joe Testa has again offered to take over the city's weights and measurements department. And there are other redundant areas, law enforcement, uh, health departments, and park uh, parks and recreation. And Fisher, if we don't see consolidation of government services now, will we ever see it? Uh, well, I think that emotionally it's always going to be difficult. I, we got to get past the emotional part of it. Now we're faced with the economic reality of um, uh, of it. And yep. and yeah, I, I don't know if now, if if not now, when. But I think that the discussions will begin uh, now. And there'll be pragmatic discussions and there'll be realistic discussions about where is their duplication, where can we, I don't know if consolidate is the right word or not. I mean, law enforcement it already works cooperatively with each other. You know, we already know that we can work together on planning. It's, a, it's the question is, can we work together on spending? Yeah. Can the city and the county agree on how to spend the taxpayers' money? And when you're answering to the taxpayers, that makes it a lot more difficult to, um, to do when you're just a planning agency, you can do kind of that that dreamer sort of stuff and not have to tell people, hey, you know, and we're going to spend your money too. Yeah. That's different. Do we need a city police department and a county sheriff's department in Franklin County? Do we need them both, <laughs> two separately? Yeah, They're different and no jurisdictions different. in a way. Yeah. I, it's you know, yes different and no. Kinds of places. Other yeah. places have done it. Indianapolis has done it. They've merged yeah. it. Indianapolis, though, is in Indiana, and Indiana yeah. has a very different tax structure than Ohio does. That's where UniGov was sort yeah. of uh, coined was in Indianapolis um, when they joined with the county, yeah. and, and and it's just not comparable to Ohio, where there's a lot more limits on taxing uh, authority and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I don't think it's a question of redundancy. I think it's a question of turf and taxes paid, right? getting what I pay my money for. And you see these small jurisdictions who want their own whatever it is. If it's no more than one firehouse and two police cars, that's what they want, and it's theirs. I agree with that. Turf is a big, is a big problem. But, but I think if Sam is right in his prediction a few minutes ago that this, this turmoil we're in, this down thing, may last four to six years, we may see a lot. I mean, I look at the clerks, uh, the, the court system, you know, can we merge the municipal court system the with the common office. police court system? Yeah. Things of that nature mm -hmm. that we're not going to do to bar, we're not going to do six months from now. 
But if we're going four to six years, yeah. <laughs> uh, anything is possible, and it may be for the best, and that might include the sheriff and the and the city police department, and, all kind of things. And you can also be selective. I mean, there's this regionalism. The, the Davis Discovery Center, I think, is a really good example of a city uh, uh, a city asset that the, the city no longer, no longer can afford. And who did we hear from the most when the, they said they were going to close it? And, and who's the most? is a lot of suburban people. Yeah. Uh, and they want to help. And someone say, well, I work in Columbus. Well, that's just not enough. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. do you want, there's a lot more regional potential there for something like that. Delaware County, Licking County, they don't have the economy economies of scale to start their own Davis Discovery Center. Why see something like this go down the chute when it, it's, be, it's loved by so many people from a huge yeah. you know, metropolitan area? Emily, any talk on the state level in the state house about shifting some of the burden to some of the local agencies, local governments? I don't know so much about shifting burden to the local agencies. I know that they are talking about consolidating the cabinet positions, you know, from what, 23 cabinet agencies now down to about 12 or 9. They say it can save a billion dollars a year, but then on the other hand, you're losing about 11,000 state employees. So to me, I wonder, you know, There's what's... Turf. Sure, <laughs> sure. And as you can imagine, you know, you call the governor's office for a comment and it's, well, no comment at this point. <laughs> So, I, you know, I don't know. Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel, some final thoughts, some predictions for the weeks ahead. Ann Fisher, you're up first. I think there's too much at stake when it comes to the reapportionment board and the Secretary of State's slot on that, and therefore Jennifer Bruner, as ambitious and with as much uh, uh, encouragement uh, from the women's groups and so forth and, uh, as she has, will step aside. That's the board that draws legislative districts yeah. right after 2010. Congressional so. and state. And act. the last time they did it, the Republicans were in control. That's right. Ellie. The thing I have my eye on the most is this stimulus money. I know that we talk about it all the time, but people, when I go speak to them, they want to know when is it coming, when could I get a job, when are these projects going to start, and I think that that is what we have to stay on the governor's office about, is when is this money coming and when is Joe Smith going to get back to work. They still got the state stimulus money to spend. They do, a lot of it. Sam. I think the, we are going to have difficulties uh, with the economy over a long period of time. Uh, what I'm hoping is that I see coming together uh, the American society and understanding what sacrifice is. Because it's going to take a lot longer to get this out. I do believe that we will begin to see this coming together of our communities around our economic problems. And Michael. It's very difficult for the legislature to do something that's perceived as uh, soft on crime. That's just a term. They're afraid of it. The opponents run against them and say these things. But I think we've reached the point after Mr. Collins' uh, talk, and I think the governor and the Republicans are going to get together and, and change some of these laws to either give the judges more discretion or work out some form of punishment that is short of actually being incarcerated in state prison. I think we just have to do it. Okay. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can enjoy Columbus on the Record on your time. Just visit our website, WOSU.org. You can watch streaming video and continue the discussion. This week we ask, should city and county governments combine some services? For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. Can I have something?